The title of this podcast is Healing in Preparing for Death. It's hosted by Janet Hagberg and Michael Bischoff. Hello, Michael. Hello, Janet Hagberg. I'm so glad you're here. I'm so glad we're here. In the last three years, Michael and I have together navigated a life-changing experience. Actually, probably more life-changing for you than for me, but life-changing nevertheless. When he was diagnosed with glioblastoma, which is an aggressive form of brain cancer. He's had exceptional people accompanying him from his family, his amazing sibs and kids and wife, a large community of people that have surrounded him, and his primary doctor, who I call his angel, Peter. Oh, and Jesus, who is your other primary doctor, right? Amen. Amen. (laughs) But today, Michael and I are going to talk about the inner, intimate journey that we've taken together um, to look at the inner forms of healing that are um, things we can't necessarily see or... um, don't have to do with medicine. So I need to say, Michael, just in starting, that I am really glad that you are still alive to do this podcast with me. Me too. (laughs) So Michael is like a son to me. I call him my like a son. And so we decided three years ago when when he was first diagnosed that we were going to stay present to one another through this critical time. And since I'm a spiritual director, we decided we were going to focus on ways that his emotional and spiritual life were impacted by the diagnosis, as well as ways in which his emotional and spiritual life could impact his healing experience. Little did we know where that would take us, right? Yeah, if I'd signed up, I would have said no. (laughs) Which you did for a while, right? (laughs) So that's a good segue. Let's back up to a bit before we get into all of that. I'd love for you to tell us the story that you just told me in the last week about your resistance uh, and wanting to avoid healing and being a healer when I had invited you into that process before you were even diagnosed. Would you like to tell us that story? (laughs) I would. My first and strong reaction was no. (laughs) I don't want to be part of a group about healers. And in fact, don't really like healers. (laughs) I don't like healing. It's not my thing. It's not my work. And then I can be and still was and still am skeptical of people that define themselves as healers. Sorry. (laughs) Janet does too. (laughs) And I do now sometimes too. Um, uh, Because I think can come across to me sometimes as pretentious or not not, not sincere. so I said, no, I'm, I'm to, to Janet's nice invitation. I said, I'm not going to do that. And then I just kept saying, no. <laughs> and I kept having times of prayer where God said, yes. <laughs> I said, no. God said, yes. And um, then there was a time Janet asked me to go to a twins game with her, a baseball game, and sign paperworks, paperwork to help um, support Janet and her preparation for end-of-life financial and health things. And then I went and helped her with thinking about that, but I was still saying, I'm not going to part of that at all. I'd, I had no foreshadowing about my own health or mortality. Um, but eventually God said, yes, you're going to be a part of that healers group. <laughs> and I agreed to do that. And shortly after that game of the twins game and signing that paperwork for Janet, 
um, I found out that I had a brain tumor, quite an aggressive kind of brain tumor that uh, on average people live a year a year and a half after diagnosis. And I started to get some clues of what God had in mind about healing. <laughs> but it wasn't my plan. <laughs> I was resistant to the beginning. Um, but God and Janet in partnership have been partnering with me and finding ways to move towards healing, even when knowing that there was a likelihood of dying soon. And I keep having other opportunities to pursue healing with death appearing imminent. And then I keep staying alive for more opportunities for healing. What a gift to me that this whole journey has been, but especially the fact that you were willing to be part of that healers group because they could be supportive of you and your whole perspective did change on healing and what healing meant and how you could be a healer without being pretentious. <laughs> it's just amazing the things sometimes we're most resistant to become the things that are the best gifts. I, I find that part of God's sense of humor. So let's talk a little bit about what we did together to open some of those doors to your inner healing. That was kind of what flabbergasted both of us, like, really? <laughs> so what do you recall are some of the, the things that were important to you that we did? Well, when I was first diagnosed with brain cancer and going through lots of treatment, Janet and I were closely in contact and would often meet every week or two and talk about what was happening for me inwardly going through all of the cancer and treatment. And part of what stuck with me the most of that was just Janet's orientation to this healers group, which was so much about intimacy with God, that as a core of dealing with both the difficulty and the trauma and the healing was to keep reorienting me towards how can this be an opportunity for me to be closer to God and what God's doing for me and other people around me. And in that, in those conversations, Janet kept um, bringing questions to me that drew me closer to that intimacy with God. And we had a series of regular questions that Janet would ask me and asked me about where where there was loss I was dealing with, where there were miracles, where there was grace, where there was wonder. And sometimes Janet would ask me on a, on a scale from zero to 10, <laughs> which I found funny at first. <laughs> Questions like, how willing are you to face death today? <laughs> are you a six? <laughs> and then we could compare notes from how what it was like last week and Janet would follow up and remind me where I'm at. And it kind of kept me paying attention to where I'm moving in relationship to dying, to relationship to God, to relationship to grace and wonder and grief. And um, there are so many layers. And, and when I kept dealing with additional difficulties and additional healing, there's, there are other, other layers that kept getting peeled back. And to have Janet be such an intimate partner with me in that listening of what I was saying, what God was saying, what we're each hearing, just kept pulling closer to where that intimacy with God was. I remember that too, how intimate those conversations were because from time to time, if I said, how close do you feel to God, there'd be like a two-point difference and then we'd have stuff to talk about or um, how 
you know, what are the grief things that you're going through? What, what were you grieving? And then there would be just a, you know, a nice way to, to name those. I think it was the naming of them that was so important because then they didn't have quite so much bigness, you know. But I remember there were days when there were just, there was a lot of fear. We met at the lake once and you got a phone call that you had to rush to the hospital. And so we didn't know what was going on. And, and yet the trust in God and then sometimes sitting there with the herons down at the river, we the quieter we got, the more the herons came closer. And so that was utter beauty and miracles. And so I want to share the quote that you've kind of talked about. It's um, the phrase I gave you was, you need to grieve the losses, deal with what is, and work on wonder. And that's a quote from an 88-year-old Jungian analyst. And it just seems to capture for many of us what it, what the three parts are that are helpful, you know, to look at, and you just, you just grabbed onto that. It was, it was a mere, uh, um, just amazing. So one of my most compelling memories were, <clears throat> was the time we spent at the river. That just seems to be a, a a healing place for both of us, and just sitting there at the boardwalk where we spent a lot of times being silent, and just looking each other right in the eye and holding our gazes. And then having the trees around us speaking through their leaves rustling. And nature has been a very important part of both of our journeys. And it really fed us a lot, I think, um, as we met met there. And the quieter we became, the more the more nature came to us. And then I also love the photo. That's one of my other compelling memories of one of your community events. And we were talking beforehand just by ourselves up in the front of the church sitting on a pew. And Jenny, your wife, took a photo of us from behind. And our heads were kind of leaning toward each other. And it was just really, it's my favorite photo. It was just really a special, intimate time, even though there were a lot of people in the room. That was that was really, uh, really nice. So let's talk now about one of your big breakthroughs in this inner journey that we that we took. Um in your, in your learning more about freedom from doing your life review, that was a big deal. Well, there were several things that Janet suggested or asked about that I wasn't quite sure sure about. <laughs> <laughs> that was one of them. <laughs> Including this life review. And um, I know that there are many people that when they're close to dying or have a near-death experience, many people have uh, an experience of having their life flash between their eyes or review their lives. But part of what Janet um, encouraged and asked about is what about being intentional about that? Not just if you're about to die, but what would it be like to really review my life from the perspective of not just my experience, but people around me and what what are the opportunities for healing throughout that? And as with many other layers with Janet, they're just... I kept discovering new layers in that. <laughs> and um, when I was with my family one Christmas after my diagnosis, I was praying and thinking about that life review. And I was really struck by one experience I had as a child, which I would ride the school bus each morning to my school. Then there was a boy who would sit next to me every day in the school bus, and he would pound me. <laughs> quite physically against my arm. He would sit next to me and he just hit me the whole way to school. And 
when I was reviewing my life, I was struck by this boy, Billy, who would sit hit, sit next to me and hit me. And I w- asked myself to God and with Jan- Janet's prompting, what, God, why are you asking me about this boy that hit me? And this painful part of my life many years ago. And that Christmas day kind of prompted me to do some research originally online and then through some other people to find out more about this family that this boy came from in Kentucky, where I was from. And I I came to realize, it's a complicated story, so I won't summarize all of it, but I came to realize that this boy who was sitting me was a part of a family who was descendant, descend, descended from um, a Cherokee um, chief who was from the same area that I was from in Kentucky. And I came to learn that there were a group of Christian missionaries in that same part of Kentucky that drew out, drew away, and sometimes physically killed um, Cherokee people, including children and women, in that part of Kentucky. And uh, in a later generation, um, my parents were um, working in the same kind of Christian mission in the same part of Kentucky, um, and were linked with, in a broader way, um, people driving away, Cherokee people, that I came to realize this boy hitting me were connected to this descendants, these descendants that had all this trauma with them. And I kept peeling back these other layers. What 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 does healing mean for me? And what do I need to learn about and acknowledge? And I found found some ways to acknowledge some of that, some change to change some of that, the way that trauma was acknowledged. And I reflected more on the ways my own family's trauma were connected in my father and his family, um, and came to acknowledge some more of that trauma and came to understand the opportunities for healing in all the generations with my father, with my children, with others, and keep finding these other these other layers of to review my life and the, the impact of that life just keeps bringing me these other opportunities to find healing in my life and my relationships. And I remember you saying that you found out that many of the men in that generational four generations back had had traumas of of different kinds too yeah so my father had a brain tumor like i do and his uncle that he was named after had had trauma that he died from and now i have this head trauma and i'm asking what does healing look like for me for my children and and the the layers of trauma in in history and communities feel very connected to my father's medical history my own medical history to the emotional history there's so many so many layers mm-hmm. of uh, unraveling acknowledging and releasing that that trauma and that mm-hmm. healing with my, fa- with my father with me my children and it was so touching when you called back to that mission the woman that was there was also a descendant of the of the Cherokee Nation, right? And she invited you to come and just be present there. And yeah, and, so I found out that the person who's the director of this mission that I grew up in, and that my father, my grandfather, was the same role that 
the woman currently is now, is the director of this mission. Um, but her children are descendants of uh, a Cherokee leader from the same region. And that we found a partnership in that and then found some other Cherokee women who, who were partners with me in that healing as well. So God keeps provide, providing <laughs> opportunities for both acknowledging mm-hmm. where the trauma's been mm-hmm. and finding ways to heal that trauma. Mm-hmm. And I really loved how you've talked to other family members and to get them to tell some of the family stories that hadn't been told or hadn't been heard. So it's opened up doors within many branches of your family. And just watching that and observing that and then how you shared that in your larger community, just it just touches me so deeply that it, I, I just get shivers just hearing you tell about it again. It's and that came out of just starting this innocent thing called a life review. I mean, it just it just had, as you say, layers and layers and lots of healing that now you don't carry uh, in the same way at all, which is wonderful. Thank you for being willing to talk about that. I really appreciate that. So should we talk about some of our even more mystical experiences? Are you ready for that? <laughs> Yeah, so Janet has kept prompting me also to look for where are the miracles, even at the hardest times. And I keep finding them (laughs) over and over, oftentimes at the most painful, difficult times in the hospital or in treatment. And there's one of those times where I was having especially painful treatment in the hospital and in the middle of the night, in a very vivid way, Martin Luther King came and sat next to me in the hospital and delivered a version of the speech he gave the night before he died mm-hmm. about his uh, his his own fear and God's God's willingness to give him the opportunity to to see at the top of the mountaintop and see God's glory and have Martin Luther King with with God next to me pass on that gift of seeing the mountaintop and the glory of the coming of the Lord and God keeps showing up in different ways in those times and finding those miracles, and then finding ways to connect those miracles with doctors and other healthcare providers that after Martin Luther King showed up in my <laughs> in my hospital room, my doctor, Peter, showed up in my hospital room the next day and talked about this experience and an experience he'd had with, um, with Moses and <laughs> Mount Nepo where Moses was. So the, the miracles keep showing up um, in the hospitals with doctors, with nurses, with families. How about that wonderful, is she Tibetan, the cleaning person that gave you some really hopeful words? Yeah, there was one time that Janet came to see me in the hospital, and I knew Janet wasn't always comfortable with hospitals and wasn't (laughs) willing to be with me, but as as Janet walked into my room, the woman cleaning my room, who was taking out the trash, um, said hi to Janet, and that woman from the housekeeping had talked to me right before Janet was there and told me a story about her own son healing from a serious kind of cancer as she she took um, her son to a monastery in Tibet where they're from. And as this woman from the housekeeping walked right up to me, looked closely to me and said, she said, doctors and prayer can work together. And the woman from housekeeping just gave me this powerful prophetic message at a time when doctors were confused about what to do with me and arguing about what to do with me. This woman, whose name is Pema, 
just gave me the sense of peace and grace with breathing that truth into me. And you later went to speak to the all the people that are the cleaning people to thank them for their role in being present to people and encouraging them to be present to people in ways, right? Yeah, so I, <laughs> as Janet said, I went and spoke to all the people at the hospital that cleaned people's rooms, and I told them that story. And um, everyone else who's, who um, was there, the large group of people that work in the hospital, um, everyone stood up and gave this woman, Pema, a standing ovation for honoring her and the way she was so kind and moving to me. And then it turns out her supervisor um, was an African-American pastor from this town. And after <laughs> my story and this woman's story, he stood up and said, I've been telling you, people, you can touch people's lives, and now you know it. <laughs> she said she, he, he had some preaching, too, <laughs> after our story. But how amazing that he would reinforce that and that it made their job seem so important because um, they're there at times when no one else is in the room, right? Well, you've also had some partnerships with people who are in the dying process or who have already died. Do you want to talk a little bit about that as a thin place? Yeah, so part of this process with Janet has helped me open up both to the painful times now as well as since there have been several times where it seemed likely that I would die soon, to become more intimate with death and dying has been a part of what God has given me. And I've gotten to know several other people where death has seemed imminent as well. And part of the gift God has given is times in prayer and times in dreams and other images of seeing people as they're dying or as after they've died and fi- feeling very, very infinite. <laughs> my part of my brain tumor now is that <laughs> speaking is sometimes jarbled. Um, but part of the gift of that in times with people that are dying is these dreams God is giving me of having these very vivid experiences of picturing people after they have died with joy and with love and with God and then being able to pass on those experiences to their loved ones after I've had those dreams and images which people have found often comforting Uh, to feel that joy with loved ones who have died or who are dying. And that's a part of what God's purpose appears to be for me now, is to pay attention to where there are those thin places between life now and time after this life, to be able to to visit with people who either are dying or have died and feel those connections and pass on those connections with others who they love. And you've also had some really powerful experiences with the medical world and especially with your doctor in sharing um, how love can be an important ingredient in the patient-doctor relationships. Those have opened some other doors for you. Yeah, there's one particular primary care doctor of mine who I've fallen in love with (laughs) and who's been an angel for me as Janet has mentioned, and we've become very close to each other. And um, I started not too long after I started working with him as a doctor, telling him that I loved him, (laughs) Mm -hmm. and started crying about how much I loved him. 
and couldn't restrain myself <laughs> and it became so effusive it wasn't I couldn't stop it <laughs> and my doctor and I have talked more openly about the role of love in our relationship and we've shared our stories together in videos and other places about the importance of love to each other and how how much love is a part of caring for each other as a doctor and as a patient and then I've gotten bolder sometimes with my oncologist and my surgeon and nurses to also tell them how much love has meant to me of sharing love with them and receiving their love and acknowledging the times I feel God's grace with them or miracles with them and there's one other nurse who after one of my um, surgeries when she was with me in my recovery room and I just met her for the first time I was just also celebrating what a gift she was and what a gift of God's it was this sacred moment and when I saw this other nurse another time in a couple of months we broke down in the middle of the hospital and cried about being together in this sacred connection mm. and so these kind of sacred miraculous connections happen even without long-term connections but just in sacred mm. places with nurses and doctors and other holy times and we have had some it feels to me like we've been living in eternity on the other side of the veil this whole three years. <clears throat> but particularly the three places where we have been together and over time and also where we both feel our, the spirit of the other person is there even when they're not there physically. So I cherish that because... I'm assuming that you will die before I do, but we don't know that. But if you do, I am assured that when I'm in one of those three places, that your spirit will be there because I feel that already now. And that has been just, I'm going to cry, <laughs> mind-boggling and um, assuring, soul-assuring for me in that we've gone through these and we've had these experiences now, like you've had experiences with people that have died. You have those now and it's just, uh, I just think it's amazing. It gives me shivers and hope, and it's very cool. So do you have any other words of wisdom that you want to give our, our listeners or how you've been working with others or any other, any other choice things you want to say? Well, one thing Janet reassured me from her confidence when I first started connecting with Janet in this way is that I knew from Janet's experience that she was very comfortable visiting heaven and <laughs> visiting others who have already died and to know Janet's reassurance about that and that it's possible to go back and forth <laughs> was reassuring for me and that it really helped me know that Janet and I could have these special places that we could connect after we died and there's one particular bench <laughs> next to the river that especially when I first was dealing with my diagnosis and thought I would die soon I was reassured, like, okay, well, Janet and I could meet at the same bench, mm -hmm. <laughs> and I can ask my kids and my wife to pick other special places along the river to do this, mm -hmm. which I find so comforting of, mm -hmm. for myself and for my family of knowing, okay, we have these places. Mm -hmm. And part of what I find reassuring in facing the possibility and probability of death, too, more and more of these experiences um, of feeling this trust of finding sacred and holy times now, both before and after death, 
I've come to, to trust more and more that that there's a healing river for all of us that is coming for us and we can't avoid it. And we might have different paths and different timing for us, but that healing is coming for all of us. Mm. <laughs> and God's love is unavoidable. Mm. And that's part of what I keep finding over and over again for myself and everybody that God's love is coming for us no matter what. <laughs> that's a great line. God's love is coming for us no matter what. I love that. Yeah, that's really sweet. Thank you. And I'd like to end our time together by reading a poem. It's going to be a little noisy here. But you and Jenny, your wife, put together this beautiful book called Janet and Michael's Healing Adventures. And also, I should also be, before I read this, um, you also took your son to that place on the river and you had his drone go out and take a take photos of the place that we meet coming from the river (laughs) that was pretty amazing and then sent me that video so i mean there's we could go on forever couldn't we and tell stories so this is a in a french pantoum which is a poetic style that you'll see it's it repeats some of the same lines and it's i wrote it for michael called remarkable michael michael is god's thin place fully embraced by love, glimpses of the eternal, fear yields to peace. Fully embraced by love, this love is present tense, fear yields to peace, all else fades away. This love is present tense, glimpses of the eternal, all else fades away. Michael is God's thin place. And you are. Ah, thank you for sharing this thin place and this healing story and all the stories with me and with our listeners. And as you and I have talked recently, um, everything is holy now. That river and God's love, you can't get away from it. Everything is holy now. So I love you. Thank you. Love you, Janet. The Critical Journey Podcast is produced by Stephanie O'Brien and Lead Stories Media. For more engaging content, go to leadstoriesmedia.com.